Welcome into the Savvy Citizen Podcast. I'm Adam Gobb. Today we're going to be talking to Shia Bang and Vincent Wong. Vincent's been a guest of ours recently. Both of them are going to be speaking with us today about how uh, the COVID-19 pandemic has infected people of Asian American descent and just the different things that they've had to go through that maybe some of us haven't had to. So I really appreciate both of them being willing to uh, have a really difficult conversation about this today, but one that's really needed in our society, I think. So I'm here with Shia Bang, and she has been with uh, Gaston County Government since last summer, correct? Yes, that's right, in July. Okay. And where were you before you came to Gaston County? I was with UNCC. Okay. I worked as their budget manager in the communication studies department okay. for about two years. Um, I, I mean, really, I just stayed at UNCC. I worked there as a student worker during my college time. Because that's where you got your undergrad, right? Yes, that's correct. Okay. Mm-hmm. Kind of the, the gist of the conversation that we're having is uh, focused on how COVID has impacted the Asian American community in Gaston County. You bring kind of a unique perspective in the sense that um, you're part of your own ethnic minority within the Asian American community, correct? Right, right. So I just want to say first, you know, thank you for allowing this space for me to share my feelings and my emotions as well. Sure. Um, especially with the Hmong community, the word mental health, it's not really in our vocabulary yet. I mean, mm. We're slowly involving in that. just want you to know that it takes a lot for me to actually express my, my emotions and feelings because I didn't grow up knowing how to express that. Mm-hmm. It wasn't until like college when I think I hit a cultural shock going to college sure. and I didn't know how to, um, to a, a way to express that. But that's my first time actually going to like a counselor therapy and, you know, sitting and talking about mental healthness. Oh, wow. My experiences with racial discrimination during COVID and the pandemic is at first you hear about it, but you don't really believe it until it, it happened to you. Yeah. So, I mean, I lived in Charlotte. I know Charlotte's more like, uh, more cultural diverse because there's, you know, especially UNCC, there's a lot of uh, oh, absolutely. student programs there. You know, there's the Hmong, the Vietnamese, the uh, Chinese group and such like mm-hmm. that. So I was, you know, I was involved in that. I see it's just diverse there. Right. Um, so moving to Gaston, I've been in Gaston for two years. Okay. And I would say the majority is, you know, a lot of Caucasian people sure, here. Sure. I would say that uh, these are just my experiences. It's I'm not representing like any Asian group or right, absolutely. You know, and may, some of it may be true to the Hmong culture um, in some sort of way. But my first experience of feeling invisible or single doubt was, you know, really mainly at those grocery stores. Mm-hmm. And here, um, I I think the first time was at a Walmart. It was just probably me. I don't really take my, my I have a three-year-old too. Okay. So during that time, I, I didn't want to take him out, had, let him stay home most of the time. Mm-hmm. I remember walking down the aisle, and there was this uh, white lady uh, come, coming towards me. And you, I can see clearly that, you know, she, she will have her mask, like, you know, pulled down. Right. But once she passes me or she sees me, we made eye contact, she'll pull it back up. And mm. she doesn't say anything, just keeps going. And after that, you know, I just felt singled out. I just felt invisible, not not acknowledged. And after that experience, I, I keep observing other people around me, see if they're going to do the same thing. And after that, there has been other instances where 
people would try to avoid me at the grocery store. Wow. If they're, you know, we're in the same aisle, they'll move away or, you know, they'll, they'll try to go around me or something. And this also happened to my husband. Wow. He was at the grocery store. I think he was looking at gift cards or something. Um, the guy there totally ignored him. It's just like he doesn't see him or anything because he was super close to my husband, but he didn't say anything, whatever. Okay. Um, an, another customer came up to him, and he, that, that person spoke to him. Oh, sorry, am I in your way, or can I help you? Mm-hmm. He, and he told me about it, too. Um, and, and, it, it, and as in right now talking about him, we're still you know, slowly processing it, too. But last year was hard. You're constantly worried about if you're going to go out. You know, what do you have to be cautious about? You know, sure. As, at some point, we even thought about buying a gun or something to protect ourselves or some sort of weapon or just to be precautious for ourselves or our, our child and our family. The other thing that I was worried about was my elders. You know, my mother-in-law, she is disabled. She's older. My mom, too, who at that time, lived in, she lived in Minnesota. Okay. So um, there's a bigger mom community up there, too, and... I'm pretty sure that, you know, that's where most of their targets were, too, um, with elders. Because, okay. one, they, um, they don't know English. They don't, they don't know how to defend themselves. Mm. So a lot of the elders were target. And we see that in the news these days, too. Yeah. They can't really def- defend themselves. And that's one of the reasons why she moved to, uh, back down um, in September to live with us. Oh, okay. Because uh-huh. uh, she's been up there for five years. And she loved it. Um, you know, like it was just like a walk to the grocery store, to the Asian store. You know, it was that easy. But I feel like since COVID happened, we uh, we felt invisible. We felt like we have to be loud, to be heard, to be seen. Mm-hmm. And another thing that I am worried about is my kids and, sure. and their future. <laughs> We'd uh, have Dylan in the house for so long that when we went back to the park, he was afraid of people. Oh my <laughs> you know, he, um, and I don't, I don't like that. I don't want him to be afraid of people. And right. um, he's slowly opening up again. But then again, you know, I want to protect him. I, I don't want him to be bullied or picked on or anything like that. But Absolutely. I also want him to be kind and loving and friendly and, and, and the kid that he, he is. <laughs> but, you know, those are just kind of like the emotions and the experience that we went through. We're always having to think twice before we step out of the house, you know? Which is crazy to think about. I mean, it's uh, so many people throughout this pandemic have dealt with pretty severe isolation, but it's like you're almost getting a double hit of that because Mm -hmm. it's like you're having to not only worry about the the virus, but just the response of other people that you don't even know. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So it's a double-edged sword for us. It's yeah, it's it's hard, and you know I want to say and I I, I am I want to say me and my my family, we're just like other normal family. We're, we're super friendly. We love talking to people. But ever since that happened, I just felt really closed in. Like I feel like my show has hardened. I don't trust people anymore. Well, and it's I think that that would be a very natural reaction for oh, yeah. what you've gone through, what your husband's gone through, and just kind of seeing some of the things that have happened that have been re- reported in the news over the last year plus during the pandemic. Like it's, mm-hmm. I think it would naturally kind of raise your defenses and make you more guarded. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. And, and I'm, I'm seeing that times, you know, I, I feel like 
with the Hmong community, uh, where we were always taught to be passive, you know, and not not speak up and just go with the flow. But I'm learning for myself to to speak up, to be vocal, not just you know at the grocery store, but in my workplace, you know, at my home, um, in the community as well too. What would you want other people that don't know you to know about the Hmong community and just about you in general? And it seems like a silly thing to even <laughs> ask because it's like you're a human being. You're, right. you know, you're, you know, right. went to UNCC where a ton of people from around here have gone to or yeah. at least familiar with. And so it's like it's it's such an odd question. Uh, yeah. Um, I just want people to know that we are we are kind human beings having our parents coming to to the United States, you know, it's it's an honor and privilege to live in this country. Mm. And so we always do our best. We always strive for the best, and we work hard. And I think of my, my child, uh, my three-year-old, and I feel like we all need to have a, a heart of a kid again. Because mm. yep. Dylan doesn't know. Dylan, you know, Dylan just when to plays with anybody who wants to be his friend. Yeah. And that's the one thing, um, you know, it's just to have kindness to be able to get along with each other, to play with each other. I know we were talking a little bit beforehand about kind of the the history of the Hmong people. Your ancestors, and, and not even going back that far, are from right. kind of the mountains of China, and you've always been kind of this isolated mm-hmm. people, essentially. Right. So the Hmong people don't actually have a country mm-hmm. that's called Hmong. Um, if we look way back to the roots of the Hmong, they are called the Miao people. That's okay. spelled M-I-A-O. Okay. And they they migrated from the southern hills of China into uh, Thailand, Laos, Vietnam. And it wasn't until the Vietnam War that you hear the word Hmong, or the people Hmong in the history book, mm-hmm. um, how they sided with the United States. And that granted their pathway to the United States. And even after that, a lot, a lot of the Hmong people were stuck in the jungle. You can kind of, you know, sometimes uh, in the history book, they were considered the jungle people. Okay. They didn't have a homeland. Either they were in the jungle, they were in the Thai refugee camps, mm-hmm. or in Laos. Um, and it wasn't until somebody would sponsor them to come to the United States. So, And that's where my parents were. They migrated to, they were sponsored in, I think, 1975, and around that, um, that year to come to the United States. Mm-hmm. And you said that you ended up growing up in Rhode Island? Yes, yes, Okay. in Rhode Island. So, I mean, I would think, did your parents, did they speak English before they came here, or did they have to learn everything kind of from scratch when oh, they no, got to the U.S.? No, they had, a, they had to learn everything. Uh, my dad, fortunately, he graduated high school. Okay. Um, and then he went to a trading school, and that's how he was skilled in uh, welding er- and earned a living. My mom never finished high school. Um, and she went to the workforce. Her skill will be in sewing, and and even now, my my mother doesn't speak a lot of English. She under, understands more than she can speak it. Okay. Yeah, but um, there's still a, a gap there. Mm-hmm. You know, this this kind of story is is what a lot of people would think of as kind of the American dream, where you, oh, you yeah. come here, you, you basically don't have anything. Mm-hmm. I mean, you're, you're starting from scratch, you're learning the language, you're learning the culture, and then, you know, for, for your generation, for, your, you know, mm-hmm. your parents to have kids that, you know, succeed here, that go yeah. to college, that, yeah. that is, that's what you want. Right. I have to say, I, I, in living in this generation, I can't do what my parents have done. Mm. Uh, my parents raised 
seven of us. Wow. Um, they were able to buy a house and my dad had over 26 acres of land. Wow. So yeah, yeah. He, 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 he really built nothing from into something. Wow. And, um, it's just amazing. My, and my father's no longer living with us, mm. but, um, you know, I always, always uh, think of him and his legacy and what he had left for us. And that's why, you know, I worked so hard on, in my life to strive for that, to have to live the dream. Looking ahead, I mean, I think it can be easy to do when you're a mom of a three-year-old or, you know, a mom of, of a child of any age. But mm-hmm. what are your hopes for Dylan and, and, and his generation? Oh. You, know? you know, I hope that he will still be able to to carry on, you know, the mom culture, mm-hmm. you know, at least have a little bit of the mom culture in him. And it, it's hard, you know, for him, for for our kids this generation. A lot of them are losing our language. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, I feel like I, you know, I, as much as I teach him, it's it's like he's going to go to school and he's going to forget it. Yeah. So we are, we, we are a knitted family. You know, because my mom lives with me. Mm-hmm. My mother-in-law lives like three minutes away. So it's good to have them around Dylan and to teach him and talk to him and Mong as well, too. Um, and the culture that we have, you know, we continue those traditions with him. And I I want him to go further than I am, you know, to to, uh, to see it in life and to do better and to just spread kindness, you know. <laughs> right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, has there, has there ever been anything that you can recall growing up where there's been this level of vitriol, I guess is, is in one word or just, I mean, you talk about some of the things you're, you're experiencing and it's, it's not outright, you know, people yelling at you and name calling, but it's definitely like people taking a second glance and looking at you and, and reacting in a very, you know, fearful or, or ignorant way. Mm, I, think, I don't, I don't else. think so. Not to this point, you know, you'll have rude people and such like that, but mm-hmm. it wasn't anything like, pointing you out and singling you out like that, you know, yeah, I, I don't think in throughout my whole life, you know, I mean, of course, you know, I've been, you know, bullied and such like that through, through school, but right. yeah, it, within that one year, it was so much compared to my whole life <laughs> of experiencing that. Yeah. So, Do you think that this will get better? Do you think that we can learn as a society from this and, and how do we learn as a society from this? Yeah, I, I think it is slowly getting better. And, you know, like what we can do now is just talk about it like how we are now. And the more we talk about it, the more aware people are uh, of it, too. And I I just, my wish is just to have su- the support of our community to speak out about it. I, I think, and I, I think a lot of people are starting to do that. The more we talk about it, the more we can uh, learn from it and grow from it. Anything else that I that I didn't ask about that you wanted to mention? I know that you had kind of been thinking about this since I brought up the idea mm-hmm. of coming on the podcast, so I, w- I want to make sure that I'm not glossing over anything that you wanted to touch on. When you first asked me, you know, I was kind of hesitant. Of, sure. But I'm like, it's time. Mm. We need to wake up. <laughs> yeah, it's time to wake up. It's time to, to let people know that I am not invis- invisible. You know, I am, I am human. I matter and I am enough I just hope that my experiences and you know the things that I went through people can relate to and for it just to encourage other people to speak out as well too 
Well, I appreciate you being willing to talk about it. It's obviously not an, an easy topic, but one that I'm very grateful that you've been willing to share your experience. And I'm hopeful that, like you said, by, by having this conversation for folks that listen to this, that it maybe will will open some eyes and maybe even uh, cause some, some self-reflection for people that you know maybe don't even think about some of their own you know, implicit biases that they have that right. you know, certainly not to the level of what you've experienced, but just, you know, cause people to, to, to think twice. Exactly. Yes, yes. So we're talking with Vincent Wong and Vincent's the uh, director of community services at the city of Gastonia. And we had talked to Vincent in the previous episode, talking a little bit about COVID-19, but we're, we're diving in in this episode about how that's been a little bit different for members of the Asian American community. And I know, Vincent, you were telling me just a few minutes ago that you're half Asian, right? Yes. Um, my dad is Chinese and my mom is uh, is white. Okay. Maybe just talk a little bit about, you know, some of the maybe conversations that you've had with your family. Has that, as COVID started and has this been anything that's been like an additional burden or a concern for you or, or what has this been like for you? Um, I think it's a, a a wide range of emotions. You know, I'm Asian American. You know, I guess I have a face for radio, but I uh, <laughs> I, I don't look Chinese. So some you know, sure. and the name Vincent Wong. Some people don't know how to to read me, right? Right. I can pass as uh, Pacific Islander, Hawaiian. Um, I've had that would have been my guess when I yeah, saw you. I yeah. would have said, you know, maybe. Hawaiian. Yeah, and I've had uh, people come and speak Spanish to me, thinking mm. I have a, a, a Spanish uh, background okay. uh, or Latinx background. And right. um, so I don't know how people perceive me sometimes. I identify as, as Asian American. Mm-hmm. I'm very proud of, of, of my background the way I was raised. But I was also raised, uh, my dad was the first person from his family to come to the United States. Okay. And I was raised to be an American. Uh, he, sure. he came and immigrated to this country, and he felt like I should try to assimilate, as uh, our family should assimilate as, as best as we could. And I think I have a pretty good network and circle, so I might be a little bit more protected. But yeah. uh, there's some concerns, like, for my family. I, I remember a conversation uh, when the pandemic uh, first started, and and. One of my family members, we were talking, and they're like, don't let people know you're Chinese. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that took me back because I didn't really put it all together. Yeah. And and it was like, you know, and I was like, no, people know. I was like, you know, yeah. told my aunt, I was like, no, people know, and, and it's not something I hide. Uh, but she was just being protective. Mm-hmm. Um, and I had to understand that. And, and you know, obviously we saw the – you know, media and, and social media and things that were said, it's it's disheartening, but, you know, you try not to let it affect you as much as you can. You have a bit of a, perhaps a unique perspective in the sense that kind of what you were saying, that when people see you, they probably don't immediately go, oh yeah, he's he's part Chinese. And so just from, from a sheer, if somebody doesn't know you and they're walking down the street and they see you, it may not be the same reaction as somebody that looks much more like a traditional person from China or from another Asian country. So does that give you a little bit, maybe a safer space in terms of like, you, you don't have to worry about some of some of those reactions, I guess? I think so. You know, I think it's different too when I'm with different family members. So it's, 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 
I guess it's one of those things that's hard because I don't see myself, you know, when, mm. when I'm walking and everything. Right. So it's how to how do pe- people perceive you. So I think, you know, and then with the first name Vincent, right, people are like, if I introduce myself as Vincent or Vinny or, or whatever, that it's it's not in the, in their frame of mind at, at that yeah, point. for sure. Um, and I think maybe sometimes I'm naive too because sometimes people ask the question, uh, where are you from? And mm-hmm. I tell them. Yeah, I was born in Cincinnati, raised in, in Buffalo, New York, and right. that might not be what they're yeah. they're they're getting at. So, uh, I think it's just an understanding, and I I think a tribute to how I was raised is you know I I just never felt completely different. There's just mm-hmm. like little incidents that you know you understand that uh, you are Asian, but I just I see myself as as me, and that's how I hope people you know see me, and when they get to know me, they. They know I'm Chinese, but it's um, I'm Vincent, and 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 that's about it. Well, and it's it's interesting. I, this has come up in in conversations, and and you when you're dealing with folks that look like me, that are just kind of your average white bread American, it, people don't come up to me and say, "Hey, you know, where are you really from, or where's your where's your family from?" Because nobody cares if my family's you know part Irish or part German or part Scandinavian or whatever. Nobody cares, but it's it does seem like you do get loaded questions for people that are in different minority groups of like, well, you know, where are you really from? And it's like, like you said, it's like, well, your dad's from China, but like, I don't know. Have you even been to China before? I have. I have. Yeah. Uh, My brother went after he graduated college to teach English and uh, went over to visit him. Okay. Um, Which is a unique perspective because some Chinese are like, you're not Chinese, you're American, right? Sure. Sure. But I just, you know, it's one of those things where, I was raised to to just be me. You know, we have had conversations about race and everything, but I just I don't I just felt like I fit in and my family's my family and and I enjoy them, but I understand the I think and and as this goes on, I understand more of what my family has to go through and I mm. appreciate that. And so it's changed my perspective, but it's also allowed me to have maybe these conversations I wouldn't have yeah. and understanding more. Has it been more difficult for your dad? Um, yes, I think some of my family's uh, family members do get treated differently. I think, though, when I talk to my family, there's kind of a, for lack of a better term, an immigrant mindset, right? Okay. My, my family struggled to, to come to the United States, and it was a, a choice for them. And, mm-hmm. you know, my wife and I, have, through talking with them, have talked to them about their journey coming to the United States and you know, one of the questions was like, well, why'd you come? And mm-hmm. without any hesitation, I was like, for freedom, right? They, yeah. I mean, they struggled and they had things. So if the things that they went through, and this is what I'm, I, I'm really trying to understand, is the things that they went through were so harsh and they had a real journey and, and some life and death situations coming to to United States. Okay, And, you know, getting here they they wanted to work and you know provide for their family and and do things that allowed them to be successful here and so you know when you talk to some of my family members like if somebody wants to call me a name or say something bad to me or look at me different to to a point it's almost like I struggled so much if that's all that's going to happen to me I'm okay with it mm-hmm. and so it's trying to understand Maybe that's not okay. Maybe we should have a conversation more. It seems 
difficult over the past year trying to understand what those in the Asian American community have had to deal with. And to me, the thing that first comes to mind is kind of what the Muslim American or the Arab American community went through not long after 9-11, where obviously, you know, a, a difference in terms of, you know, a, a terrorist attack versus a, a virus, but just some of the reactions, some of the knee-jerk reactions that you would see in the media and playing out across the country were kind of similar, where there was just kind of this... Um, the reaction, the, this this gut reaction towards hate and towards ignorance. Just in your mind, how do we not not get past that, but how do we address that and then grow from that as a society? I think just with what we're doing here, we talk about it, right? Have this conversation. For whatever reason, right now it seems like everybody wants to be right. Uh, they want to talk louder, mm-hmm. yell, and, and everything like that. And so I think for me... And the way I was raised is, let's have a conversation. Let's get back to some human decency and empathy, and let's try to do right um, in the community, and let's get to know people. I think that's why, you know, I look at it, my perspective is a little bit different because of the way I was raised, maybe how I look, mm-hmm. uh, the the environment that I'm, I'm around, the like I said, the circle of friends that I have, and, and people got to know me and, and who I am, and so... I don't get though people don't that's not their initial thought. You know, Vincent's Chinese, the pandemic came from China. I should ha- I should talk right. to him about it. Um right. so it's but I also understand that um if people want to talk about that that I can be a conduit, you know? I can be uh, a liaison and I can provide information and insight from my perspective, but also hopefully bridge that gap, but also I just think it's very important to have those conversations and have difficult conversations. I'll be honest, before this pandemic, there's some conversations that I didn't have with family because I, I didn't see, I was like, that's my aunt, that's my uncle, that's my dad, that's right. my cousin. Like, I don't see them as they're Asian Americans, right? Right, right. And, it's family. And, yeah, so this has allowed me to have a different conversation with them and a difficult one because I want to be respectful and not make them feel uncomfortable. Right. And then you look at friends, you don't want to bring up conversations that feel uncomfortable. I think it's time that we do have some uncomfortable conversations. Mm-hmm. We have them respectfully and 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 really listen. You know, some of the stuff that that gets said isn't necessarily like, you know, oh, it's it's hateful or people like, you know, avoiding you in stores or things, but it's like even just, you know, jokes about like what we're going to call it, you know, calling it the kung flu and things like that. Yeah, I I struggle with that a little bit because some people are very creative on what they say and what they don't. And, you you know, Mm -hmm. in my head, I'm like, oh, you know, that's that's a little creative. But then I understand that uh, those might be microaggressions and that if nobody, you know, stands up or says anything, then are you welcoming that to continue or or get worse? So I think it's um, because, I mean, I... If you talk to anybody, I like to joke. I like to have, you know, fun and stuff like that. But mm-hmm. sometimes it's, you have to have, like I said, uh, a serious conversation, make a little bit, might be a little bit uncomfortable, but, you know, you wouldn't know my perspective. And I, like I said, I wouldn't know my family's perspective if I didn't have that conversation and ask. Mm-hmm. So I think that's, that's where I think, you know, my thought process is let's have these conversations. Like you said, before September 11th, you know, you uh, the Muslim community. There's so many different uh, communities and and ethnic groups that feel like they've been targeted or you know have 
uh, endured racism. And I think at times it might be, well, it's not my group, so maybe I just don't say anything. Sure. And it it's to the point where we all need to come together and have a conversation. And I need to understand other traditions and nationalities and respect that. And, you know, yes, I think there's Asian-American discrimination. But at the same time, I'll be honest, I feel very privileged to have uh, a multicultural upbringing. Mm-hmm. Uh I get to celebrate twice the holidays, right? I yeah, get to, there you uh, go. And, and so it's that tradition, that understanding that background is, is very important to me. And I think, like you said, you're, you know, might be Irish and stuff mm-hmm. like that. There's traditions, there's there's a story that you have. Yes. And I think it's important that everybody is proud of their story, understands their story, and tells their story. Mm-hmm. You know, this is my perspective. Yep. Everybody has a, a different, like, my... I'm a middle child, so my brother has a different perspective. My sister mm-hmm. is treated differently, and and her being a female and and Asian American is, is completely different too. So I think, you know, people just need to embrace that there is difference. You know, I think so. T- so many times, and I'm not a parent, but, and I don't know if you are, but I was yeah, raised, I got you a know, six year old daughter. Yeah, be it's okay to be different, and yeah. it's okay to be unique and and share that and 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 have those conversations and and so i think we need to well, we need to find a way to approach it too and i think you know if somebody really knows um your heart and where you're coming from and you ask a question you might not get it right the question might not be the right question mm-hmm. but at least you're trying and, and understanding but also be proud of of who you are and, and and what you're doing and and i think you know we're in the part where and you know we're in local government is we want to do what's best for the community Absolutely. and we're all here together. And, and I think that goes outside the workplace and everything else is having these conversations, be understanding. And, and, and there's a lot of trigger words where people hear a word, whatever it is, and they automatically want to put somebody in a box. Yeah. They already automatically yep. want to assume, well, I already know what they're going to say, so I'm not going to listen anymore. Yep. And I think that's, that's what, if, if there's anything that, you know, we can gather from this is let's have those conversations. Let's break down those walls. Let's actively listen because I'm, I'm Asian American, but I'm also play soccer. Uh, you know, I'm a big Buffalo Bills fan. I'm all of nice. these things. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and so being Asian American is a, is a part of me, but it doesn't define all of who I am. Absolutely. And so when we have these conversations, it's just understanding you might be missing out on talking to some really, really cool people because you you just want to judge them for, for one part of that. Right. So let's just get to know people and understand and and, and do our part to um, to make this community the best that we can. The difficult conversation thing is, is almost double-sided in the sense that, like, not only is the subject matter difficult, but the act of having that conversation is difficult, too, because it's, like you said, I mean, you, you've got to be an active listener. You've got to be able to set aside maybe preconceived notions and, and be willing to um, kind of move forward in that conversation and be that, that active listener. Yeah, no. And I, and I'm not naive to think that this can be, you know, solved with just having one conversation or if you have one conversation, you've done your part. I think it's a, it's a growing process and a learning process, you know, for, for me, it might be a little bit easier because I could talk about, you know, hey, I'm Asian American, I'm Chinese, mm-hmm. you know, I want to get to know about you a little bit more. So tell me about you. Um, and then some is just being blunt, you know, as we're learning, learning more stuff. Um, some people 
preferred to be called Asian American. Some people want to be Asian, mm-hmm. you know, and some people want to be African American. Some people want to be dressed as black. And it's right. like having that conversation. Hi, I, I don't know how you'd like to be addressed. Please let me know so I can do that. Yeah. And, and I think at first people are like, oh, I don't know if I can, can say that or have that conversation, but you can. And like I said, if you're coming from a good place, right. people will respect that and understand that. And I can't be mad if somebody was like, hey, Vincent, I saw your last name's Wong. Can I ask, you know, where, you know, your background's from or, you know, and I don't have a problem sharing that. And right. it, the only thing that's kind of unique to me is sometimes people will be like, Vincent Wong, so is your mom or your dad Chinese? And, I'll, and I, <laughs> you know, I joke. I'm like, yeah, no, it's traditional. I, I take my father's last name, right? Yeah. Um, <laughs> and then, you know, I have to understand the perspective. My wife is, is, is white. She's okay. a school teacher. And so, at first, when somebody sees Mrs. Wong as the teacher, they might have preconceived sure. notions of that. Um, but it's understanding, and it's something that I've, uh, you know, we've discussed things that, you know, we talk about. And, and she's always been understanding and, and understands how I was raised and, and very proud of my Chinese heritage and culture, and it lets me celebrate that. And I think, you know, but I've never forced it on her you know I was like Mm. you know we're doing she's uh I let her know and the history behind it I think that's the thing is if you understand the history like these stories of my family and each one of my family members journey to the United States was a little bit different Mm. it's so fascinating and we're going to lose that history if we don't have conversations absolutely I mean that's that's the the part of it that you would I'm sure love to be able to pass down eventually if you if you have children to be able to pass that down to future generations But you have a story too, and you have history, and I think let's let's get back to that. Let's be proud of who we are. Let's have those conversations. Have those conversations with your parents if you can, grandparents, other, and really understand um, the history and the background, but also embrace other people's backgrounds and, and history. Absolutely. Well, Vincent, again, thanks so much for for coming back on the podcast for for being willing to have a difficult conversation. I told Shia the same thing. I mean, it's as opposed to some of the other topics that we've delved into here. This is this is one that is not a usual one, but I, I appreciate your willingness to talk about it. No, definitely. I, I'll, I'll be honest, I struggled a little bit with, with this and, and, and what I can say and what I can provide to, to help have these conversations. And one of those things, uh, as, as we do, as I do work in this space and health equity and, and diversity, mm-hmm. equity, inclusion is, if not me, then who? And, yeah. you know. We all have to have those conversations, and I have to understand it. it. It's allowed me, like I said, to have those conversations with my family and understand it a little bit more, but also challenge my perspective and, and my thoughts and, and, and who I am. So it's, it's good to have that some self-perspective, too.